Welcome, wombat folk and trolls, sorcerers and orcs, to Rated RPG, the fantasy role-playing podcast where we toss dice and have fun adventures with our friends. This is the Valley of Green Gold, Episode 4. As we get deeper into the Valley of Green Gold and get this adventure going, it's important that people can find us. And one of the ways that people can find us is with great reviews on podcast services like Apple Podcasts. And we just got a great one from Garcia Champlu, a four-star review that reads, Great podcast and super fun live stream. I love Rated RPG. Can't wait to see my rabbit cult show up in the new campaign. Well, thank you very much, Garcia. The new campaign mentioned there is our new rated RPG livestream only adventure called Cult Busters. We'll tell you more about it at the end of this episode. In episode three of the Valley of Green Gold, we met Orlando DePayne, AKA Bunny, a rambunctious human child born into a military family. One day, a family friend asked Bunny to scare away a kid who had been digging in his garbage. Bunny chased that scared kid into an abandoned building where he beat up the kid's big brother, Ripper. The kid vowed revenge. Bunny felt bad for these street kids. He even went back and left them some money. And when Bunny told his parents about it, they commended him on doing the right thing. They also knew he needed to take a different path in life, so they sent him away to Whistling Wrestling Monastery, where he trained for years to become a performance fighter, a professional wrestler. After being recruited into Captain Bunko's Extreme Fight Club at age 14, Bunny took on a new name, Ice Cold the Slab Monsoon. And as he's about to start the most dangerous match of his life, he realizes that his opponent, the Maniac Kid, is the same kid he scared away from the trash seven years earlier. Yeah, the one who vowed to get his revenge. So Dion, ice cold, is standing in the ring opposite the Maniac Kid. The crowd is chanting, Maniac Kid, Maniac Kid. The referee, Captain Bunko, asks you both to step forward. I walk up towards Bunko, eyeballing Maniac Kid the whole time. Oh, and he has given you a dirty look. Give me an insight check. 16. You're pretty sure he recognizes you from the look he's given you. Mm. And Captain Bunko says, All right, guys, this is the main event. There's no rules. So you just do whatever, and I'll declare the winner. Okay, guys, have at it. And then he quickly jumps out of the ring. And there you stand. I mean, if he hasn't swung on me, the first thing I say, and I try to bellow it out, well, 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 if it isn't the scrawny little trash eater trying to pretend he's a champion. Ooh, give me an intimidation check on that. 14, ah, shucks. He says to you, I ain't that scrawny anymore, man. You messed up my brother, man, so you are definitely going to get some of what you got coming to you tonight. (laughs) He rolled a 10. (laughs) <laughs> Which is about how I delivered the line. Um, I laugh it off and say, <laughs> your brother just got what he was looking for. He cashed a check. His butt cheeks couldn't. Nope. <laughs> All that happened to your brothers was going to happen to you. You're going to get a headbutt, an elbow, and don't be scared if the chair is at your cranium. Punk. All right. Give me another intimidation check with advantage. Ooh. 
with advantage. Give me some real. 19. Oh, nice. He decides he's just going to tie up with you. So roll initiative. You can now trash talk me, so you got to fight me. I rolled a 19.6 for initiative. All right. So you tie up with the maniac kid. Yeah. I'm going to have you do an opposed athletics check. I rolled a seven. All right. He's got the drop on you. 16. So he's going to throw at you. Now, you have trained long enough now that you have become a tough guy, which means that you're using your wisdom, the things you've learned, as well as your dexterity to have a higher armor class. So your armor class is 15, even when you're just in the ring, no shield, you know, no armor at all. Yeah. And the same is true for the maniac kid. Mm. He throws a punch at you, and he is unable to hit you with any impact at all. You can tell that he's trying to hurt you, which isn't always the point in professional wrestling. <laughs> yeah. All right, you're shot. I'm almost going to lie. <laughs> you still hit like you did when you were eating old cheese. And since we're still locked up, I want to knee him in the stomach and then try to, like, flip him onto his back. A suplex, I think it's called. Yeah. All right. I rolled a 16. All right. That hits him. You knee him in the stomach, and he, <clears throat> he coughs, and he takes six bludgeoning damage as it bends him over, and then you are going to try to land a suplex on him. That is going to be a little bit more difficult, so I'm going to have you just roll a dexterity check on this one. Oh, that is a fail, baby. A natural one. <laughs> yeah. As you're trying to lock in for the suplex, you try to lock it. He moves his arm, and then he turns around and reverses it. He's going to try to get a suplex on you. Oh! And he gets a 19. Ooh. All right, so here comes a little damage to you. Oh, four points of bludgeoning damage as you hit the mat super hard. Oh! As you're laying there on the mat trying to catch your breath, the maniac kid slides out under the bottom rope and he runs over to his corner and he grabs a couple of gloves that he has specially outfitted with some barbed wire. And he jumps back in the ring, just in time for you to get up. What do you do? In the ring, there's probably no items. So if I wanted to run at the ropes to do a move, would that be improvised? Yeah, that's the great thing about being a professional wrestler. You can improvise your attack. It's all unarmed strikes, but you can run, use your movement, bounce off the rope, come back, and attack your opponent. So if he's whatever, I'm, the, I'm running towards the ropes in the opposite direction where he's coming at. So what I want to do is I'm going to bounce off the ropes and then do a leaping kick to try to like throw him off as he's putting on his gloves. That's the plan. Here we go, 15. Well, his armor class is 15. So as he's putting on his gloves, he's not looking at you. You hit him with a drop kick. Oh! All right, so uh, you hit him for another six damage. Gosh, this guy is tough. The damage he's taken already probably would have knocked you unconscious. Yeah, it would have probably sat my big butt down, but it's okay, baby. I'm ice cold. I'm ice cold, baby. He jumps up off the ground. Ooh. As you've also fallen prone after this move, he jumps up a little bit quicker. Mm. And he swings at you with his barbed wire gloves. A five. Ooh, I'm ice cold, baby. You duck underneath his big swing, and then what do you do? I'm going for that son of a bitch's ankle. I'm going to try to flip him. I want Because I want him on the ground. If he stands up, he's going to start punching me. I ain't trying to get cut up, baby. I'm too pretty. I'm ice cold, baby. I'm ice cold. So I'm going to shoot for his leg. I'm going to do it almost like a fireman carry, but more extreme. Because I'm going to yank him onto the ground. All right, so you try to scoop him up. You got a seven on the roll, which is not enough to take control of the situation. You try to scoop him up, and he is not having it. He throws a punch at you with his barbed wire gloves as you're trying to scoop him up. He lands to the side of your head and he cuts your ear pretty bad. 
two points of slashing damage from those. Oh. You guys are both looking pretty rough. We say looking pretty rough. Can I finish this? Well, Dion, as a matter of fact, as a professional wrestler, a custom class that we've created together, you have the ability to sense when a foe is on the verge of unconsciousness, maybe one attack away from being knocked out. And the maniac kid is looking to be one good hit away from going out. Ooh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get him, hit him like I hit his brother all those years ago. Uh, I wanna grab at him and do a headbutt. Okay, so you wanna grab him, grapple him, tie up with him like a wrestler does, and then headbutt him. You can do that because you are a professional wrestler, and you have a special feat that allows you to use your dexterity, acrobatics, or athletics strength in an opposed check against him for uh, tying up and grappling him. Oh, sucks. You got a nine. He got a ten. Oh, that's so despicable. My heart, my soul. Okay, so you don't grapple him. Not all is lost. You can still headbutt him. Headbutt him. Oh, I'm about to get him. Catch this, mother sucker. Ah! Yes. I hit him for an 18, baby. You headbutt him so hard right between the eyes, his nose starts gushing blood, and you've dealt five points of damage. Not a lot, but it's enough to knock him unconscious, and he falls to the mat on his back. All you gotta do is pin him. Oh. I look into the crowd and I say, repeat after me. What's cooler than being cool? Ice cold, I say it with me. What's cooler than being cool? Ice Ice cold. And then I run, I bounce off the rope, and then I'm gonna do a backflip and land right on top of him into a pin and move. You bounce off the rope, and when you start to come forward from bouncing off the rope, you feel a hand grab your ankle (gasps) as you slam face first into the canvas, taking three points of bludgeoning damage. Oh no, that's all my hit points. You are unconscious. And when you come to, you see Captain Bunko declaring this match a draw. What? Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. I'm furious. Ice Cold can't believe the treachery that goes on in Bunko's house. I can't believe this. I'm starting to really buy into the Ice Cold as he's playing it more. So I'm just like, I can't believe this. There's no draw. He lost fair and square. Maniac Kid is smiling and he's like looking around at the crowd like, yeah, that's right. Not in my house. You don't come to my house and beat me like that. And then he jumps out of the ring and runs back to the dressing room. What do you do? I'm furious. Um, I, I, I'll go up to Bunk. I'm like, but because the audience is still here, right? Like they're they're buzzing. I'm buzzing. Oh yeah. I'm like, do y'all see what they call so-called champions here? I have been here not even a full week, and I'm already showing I'm the best young wrestler in the whole damn circuit. I want Maniac again this next Friday. Do you people want to see me versus Maniac part two and see what a real champion looks like? Then I just stare at the crowd. They scream, they are going crazy. And Captain Bunko is like, yeah, we're gonna give you a rematch. That's right, and this time Bunko, it's gonna be two things happening. Me stepping in the ring and Maniac leaving on a stretcher. Ice cold, baby! (laughs) The crowd goes crazy. And uh, as you clear out of the ring, you walk back to the dressing room with Captain Bunko. And he says, man, that was the coolest thing I ever seen, man. When you said, what's cooler than being cool? And everybody said, ice cold? Man, I got goosebumps. Sir, that 
that was the greatest match of my life. Oh my goodness. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm about to make this place go to heights it's never seen since the young Moose Barnes was here. So you go back in the dressing room and it is a sweaty, stinky place full of people being bandaged up from earlier matches. And there's the maniac kid and he's sitting on the bench and he looks up at you and he says, not bad, not bad at all. Not bad yourself, man. Like, holy crap, dude, you really turned your life around. What what happened after that day I met you and your brother? Well, a few days after that happened, me and Ripper were going to head up to Baxter and maybe see about getting some work on a ship or something. But then these people came by. They were looking for us, said they wanted to help us. And uh, they did. They hooked us up with the Freelow Performance School down south. And you know, it was good for a while. But then uh, kids started getting sick and, and Ripper got sick. And after he died, I just started wandering around different regions, taking any matches I could to earn some coin, you know, and then I wound up here with Bunko. Well, one, sorry about your, your brother, man. I know me and him obviously weren't pals, but all I can do is say hats off to you. You're a bad mf in that ring, dude. Oof, like for a second, I thought you really wanted to cut my ear off. <laughs> it was just a part of the act, right? <laughs> Well, you know, a little bit. I kind of wanted revenge from, you know, for Ripper and, you know, no hard feelings. Yeah, look, we're in this for the entertainment, right? As long as the fans keep sharing, we'll keep playing. Dr. Chains comes up to you and he says, Hey, sorry about your leg. I I figured I better do that. Uh, that was, I was wondering how, look, you live up to the name Chains, man. I, I don't think I've ever been tripped so just economically. It was really efficient. <laughs> good, good job. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, you know, you can't beat the champ your first match against him. Now you got a good feud going. It's going to be great, man. Oh, listen, you really set me up for success. I mean, next time you can maybe warn a brother, but it's all good, man, as long as the show's working. So uh, you guys fight again uh, numerous times, and you guys put on some really good shows. And yeah, some shows you really... You really drop a lot of paint, and some shows Maniac Kid does, and some shows both of you do. For about a year, you guys go back and forth, and sometimes you feud. You guys actually join up and become a tag team. What do you call yourselves? Oh, the Maniac Kid and Ice Cold? Uh, they call it... <laughs> um, the, the Blizzard Insanity. Blizzard Insanity. <laughs> awesome. So as the tag team Blizzard Insanity, you and the Maniac Kid have a really great run on the West Coast for about two years. And in that time, you become proficient with lockpicking tools, thanks to Dr. Chains. Speaking of Dr. Chains, it's one night after a really great match against the Gnome Wrestlers that the Maniac Kid says to you, uh, Hey, I see, um, hey, I gotta tell you something. I, I, I just, I gotta hit the road, man. I've done everything I can here. I think I want to hit the East Coast. Maybe check out the big leagues. You, you headed back to the East Coast? What? Well, dude, you're pretty much the only guy who can give me a run for my money, man. It's gonna, it's gonna be a bummer to see you go. Well, I'm sure we'll come into contact again at some point, but uh, for now, I think I've pretty well had it here. You know what? It's, it's been good to know you. But I'd love to kick your ass in the ring one more time if we got a chance. He grins at you when you say that and then uh, kind of nods his head. And that's the extent of his farewell. He's not a hugger. We're not hugging types at Bunko's spot. 
and then uh, and then he leaves, and uh, you continue on as the champ of uh, uh, as the champion of Captain Bunko's Extreme Fight Club for another year, and then you get a letter in the mail. Oh boy! And it's a very beautiful envelope with a giant yellow wax seal, and it's got a butterfly on it. I open up the letter, like, who in the world is this with the butterfly? This letter is from Porsche Thorpe's Showtime Wrestling, the biggest of the big league wrestling joints. This is a Baxter wrestling organization. Baxter's the biggest city on the East Coast, and they are offering you a five-year contract with the potential to earn 100 gold pieces a week. Holy Toledo. Ah! I just scream, Bunko! Do you see who this is from? This is from the top of the top Showtime Wrestling. Yeah. Can you believe it? Yeah, man, you gotta go Showtime, baby. That, that's where the big money is. You gotta do it. Bunko, I got to. And put out to do like a firm, manly handshake. I'm like, thank you for everything you've taught me here. You, there's no ice cold without Bunko, sir. Yeah, man, that's right. He he gives you a big hug. He is a hugger, by the way. Oh, heck yeah, Bunko's a hugger. And hug him back, and then I, I I just say, thank you to everyone. Like, my man, there's never been a better man on Chains than my man Chains over here. Just guys, one day, I'm going to come back as the world's most known greatest wrestler. Thank you, guys. Once again, every time I leave, it's hard. But this time, I'm really ready. It's cold out. <laughs> so before you leave, before you leave, Captain Bunko says, I got something for you. I got something for you. He, he comes out. You know he he's missing one of his legs. So he he has, uh, he has, sometimes he uses a cane or a crutch. But he comes out and he has what looks like one of his crutches. It's about three feet long. It's mostly a metal rod. And then at the top of it, kind of where he would rest his armpit, are two L-shaped pieces of wood. They're like naturally formed branches of mulberry maybe or something. Anyway, they are folded up, but then you can fold them down and there's a piece of canvas stretched between them. So it kind of looks like a one-legged stool. And he says, you know, this is one of my old crutches and uh, I made it into a chair for you so that when you're just walking around, you can just unfold it and you can put your weight on it and it's just like a one-legged stool and you can sit on it and stretch your legs out because your legs are going to start hurting real bad when you get to about 25. You're going to wish you had a way to stretch out your legs. Just taking them back, I, I grab it and I say, Bunko, this is the greatest gift I've gotten since I was a small boy. I'm going to bring this chair with me everywhere. I'm going to I'm gonna whoop so much ass with it in your honor, man. I'm just going to kick so much ass. So you travel. Again, it's a long journey to get to the East Coast, but Baxter's not terribly far from Harkhaven. And so, you know, maybe your parents will be able to come to a match or two. You haven't seen them in like, I don't know, seven years or something like that. And, uh, you know, you're getting to be about 20 years old. You have played out as much as you can on the West Coast. But this is Portia Thorpe's Showtime Wrestling, and nobody knows you on the East Coast. 
you arrive there and this is a far different situation than Captain Bunko's place. This is a clean and uh, state-of-the-art facility where everyone is being trained by multiple people, specialists in acrobatics and athletics and people who can teach you how to take really big risks in the ring. Portia Thorpe is uh, herself in her 70s, but she's still very physically imposing. She is a Goliath. She stands seven feet tall. She comes walking out to, to meet you in the, the lobby of her wrestling corporation, and she says, Well, if it isn't ice cold the slab monsoon, I want to welcome you to Showtime Wrestling, honey. Miss Portia, ma'am, thank you for giving me a shot at the big time. I am going to prove you more right than you could ever imagine. Well, I hope so, honey. I'm ready to get to work as soon as you'll have me. Look, nobody knows you around here, so we're gonna start you off pretty simple and see what you can do, okay? Yes, ma'am. Uh, who do I have first? Well, you are a very handsome young man, so let's see how you do against a real heel. I got one. His name is Creston Dubois. Creston Dubois. You just let Creston know he's got a bad night coming up soon. Okay, I'll let him know. Well, you come to find out that Creston Dubois is a preening fancy boy who cheats to win every match, so the fix is kind of in on that one before you even step in the ring, that he's going to cheat and he's going to win and that's his thing. <sighs> the next week, she comes back. I got another match for you, honey. Uh, who's it this time? Another fancy boy? No, it's Lardo Mondo. Mm. Lardo Mondo is a 500-pound monster. He is a literal monster. You think he might be a knoll or some kind of a werebore? You're not really sure, but he's 500 pounds. Well, <laughs> Lardo Mondo, I thought you were going to give me somebody tough. <laughs> Let's just boil this match down to one roll. Just roll a d20. We'll see how you do. <laughs> okay. Uh, I rolled a six. Oh, man, he... <laughs> He crushes you. He crushes you. Oh, boy. Mondo put the hands on me. Tough scene. Yeah, he broke a couple of your ribs, as a matter of fact. Oh, the next match that she comes to you and uh, says you're going to do is against Badunga, the she-devil of the churning sea. Ice cold is equal opportunity ass-kicking. I'm ready when she is. Roll another d20 here. We'll see. Another six. Yeah, she got a 15, so Badunga, the she-devil of the churning sea, oh, no. she knocked you unconscious with a poorly timed chair shot. Oh, no. So, after this match, you're sitting in the locker room, kind of still seeing stars, when Portia Thorpe comes walking through. Oh, honey, that was a bad one tonight. What are we going to do with you? I came here to be the greatest wrestler, and you got to pay your dues. This is how I cut my teeth. Okay, okay, honey. I'm going to team you up with Donnie Squatch. He's a new kid, not very talented, but he's very ambitious. Well, you know what? He sounds like me, except without the no talent part. You guys are going to be fighting against Nia Peoples in the party machine. The party machine? Oh, boy. I am hyped up for the party machine. All right, we're going to roll me a d20. <laughs> okay, I'm done. I'm done. I rolled a two. Oh, no. You rolled a two, and Nia Peoples in the party machine rolled an eight. What is... It was a really... Let's see how uh, your tag team partner did here. Come on, Donnie. Donnie Squatch. Come on, Don, Donnie. <laughs> Donnie no! Squatch got a six. No! 
Oh, man. So it was a horrible match. <laughs> a lot of no-sell coming from uh, Nia Peoples in the party machine. But <sighs> in the end, they did beat you by pinning Donnie Squatch. So at least you don't have to shoulder the burden of that loss. This is a really tough turn for you. Yeah. And then one day, one day, she comes to you and she says, You know, um, the King's Championship is coming up next month. And I need a good undercard match. I want you to wrestle against somebody in the Buried Treasure match. This will be my first actual shot at a decent match? Ma'am, I am ready. Who do you have in mind? Somebody named Minnie Ripper. Minnie Ripper? Yeah, Minnie Ripper. Okay, okay. Minnie Ripper, prepare to see what happens when I'm put close to the main stage. Not... Main stage of Jason, we'll call it. As the day of King's Championship 17 arrives, you have been working really hard. You want to put on a great show for these people. You are on the undercard. You're going to be wrestling early in the evening. But if you put on a good show, the sky's the limit for you. Plus, this is a buried treasure match. The guys tell you there could be anything inside that chest. Could be full of gemstones. Could be full of gold coins. Could have magic items in there or, or cool stuff. Ooh. And unlike other matches, you don't have to win the match. You just have to open the treasure chest first to get it. And as you're lacing up your boots, you look across the locker room, and there entering is a familiar face, the Maniac Kid. Oh, snap! He's changed his name to Mini Ripper. You're going to be wrestling with your old pal, the Maniac Kid. How can this not be a good match? I'm assuming this is similar, anything goes, because I'm fighting Maniac Kid. He doesn't do rules. I know, if there's one thing I know about that guy. I, well, I walk up to Maniac Kid, and I say, buddy, how can we always run into each other like this? I've, how about I kicked your butt enough? And then I laugh and put my arm out. He grins at you and he grabs your hand, gives you a firm grip and uh, leans in, pulls you in a little bit closer. And he says into your ear, I ain't taking it easy on you, man. We got to put on a good show, but I'm here for the loot. That buried treasure is as good as mine, man. I don't know when you have taken it easy on I still have parts of my ear, I think, in your gloves, brother. <laughs> but you know what? May the best me win. Ha <laughs> ha, ice cold. So you get your uh, you get your ring gear on. Mm -hmm. They announce you second. So Mini Ripper is basically, uh, you know, he's an upstart on the East Coast. Yeah. He's not the maniac kid anymore. And they call him in first. He comes down to the ring and he's wearing, he's still wearing the red, like, karate pants and uh, the red headband. And uh, they call him down to the ring. And then they call you. From parts unknown, ice cold, the slab monsoon. Oh, oh I'm strutting once again. Uh, and also, my outfits changed because as I've grown, I finally started to realize what truly makes ice cold, ice cold, baby. Um, now I have a, uh, I got one of those like things you tie around your head. It's not a full bandana, just like a little slip. Yeah. And I got that on me, and that just says the slab up there. And then I am dressed. And this is going to sound kind of odd, but I'm dressed in like a sheer, like like spandex, but not like it's like a whole body kind of like catsuit, high white blue. Okay. Because it's ice cold. So the whole thing, and then there's like fringe along the arms, but it's like a full body kind of catsuit that's just blue and bright as shit. That's insane. And I love it. <laughs> Now, forgive me if I said that you head down to the ring or even mentioned a ring, because there is no ring. The buried treasure match takes place in the dirt next to the ring. That's where they bury the treasure, after all. <laughs> there is a shovel stabbed into the ground and a red X on the ground, so you know where to dig. 
And there's ropes around the outside perimeter of this space, but there's no ring. Now, you guys fight like cats and dogs, and both of you end up bloody by the end of this thing. Uh, you both end up hitting each other with the shovel more than once. Hey so the treasure has been sponsored by Duke's Turtle and Crow, and they have placed two items into this treasure chest. Ooh, nice. And, uh, you know, in between smacking Mini Ripper in the head with the shovel, you dig up a little bit and a little bit, and then you smack him with the shovel again, dig up a little bit. Then he's, he comes out of nowhere and smashes you with a fence post, and then, you know, keeps going back and forth. But finally, you do knock him unconscious long enough to finish digging up the treasure chest, and you reach inside, you open it up, roll a D100, please. Here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. 11. 11 is the first thing you pull out of this treasure chest is a pair of shoes. Ooh. They're nice shoes. They're black leather. They're brand new. They've never been worn. And uh, and they happen to fit you. You kind of look and you can see, oh, yeah, these are the same size uh, as my feet. So it's a nice pair of shoes. Uh, roll a D100 one more time. 33. Holy. Wow. wow. Those are like magical master numbers in numerology. Anyways, keep going. So roll two D10s. Not an eight. So 17 gold in a little leather pouch. So you and Mini Ripper have damaged each other pretty badly for 17 gold and a pair of dress shoes. <sighs> the price of fame, man. But hey, on the bright side, you won and you put on a good match. You walk into the locker room and you see Mini Ripper, maniac kid, sitting there with blood-soaked cloth held to his forehead. He looks up at you and smiles and you notice that he's missing one of his teeth a little further back in his mouth and he, he says to you, you know, we didn't get a chance to really chat much before the match, but it's really great seeing you again, man. Name change, Mini Ripper. I, I guess you're not a kid anymore, you know? You, you gotta evolve at some point, right? Well, you know, my brother's nickname was Ripper, and I'm littler than him, and you know, I just wanted to pay him uh, tribute, you know? Man, I totally get that. You know, my name kind of um, ethereally comes from my parents and my childhood experiences, so... I, I feel you, brother. This really sucked, man. Like, we, we really put our bodies on the line. We really put on a hell of a show, and all you got was, like, 17 gold and a pair of shoes. And not even, like, magic shoes in a world where wizards exist. I'm kind of pissed about it. Maybe the magic was they fit me, because, you know, I wear a size 6 in women's, but... <laughs> Sorry, that was a bad joke. <laughs> we can make that canon if you want, Dion. <laughs> Just incredibly tiny feet. <laughs> Size six women's shoes. It, I don't know. Maybe that's why you're so agile. I mean, yeah, you know, the smaller the feet, the quicker you move is something someone said. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this, it's just, it's screwed up. This just feels like we got the short end of the stick. We bleed for nothing? Exactly. Exactly, he says. And who's getting rich? Not us. Look, man, I know things have not been good for you since you arrived here. You got your ribs broke by Lardo Mondo. You had to wrestle with Donnie Squatch. I think they were trying to piss you off with that match enough that you'd leave your contract. Yeah. But thank goodness you didn't because we put on a great match tonight. You put on a great match tonight. You put yourself on the map. They cheered louder for us than they're cheering right now. And it's the main card right now. How embarrassing is that? I think you put yourself on the map tonight, man. In fact, a few days later, Portia Thorpe finds you in the gym and she says, Honey, you put on a real good show out there. Boy, I think we got something here. 
And over the next weeks and months, she starts building you up, giving you better matches, more high-profile things, and eventually you get to a point about six months down the road where you are in contention for the championship title. I didn't come here to be a no-name. I am definitely in. Well, that's great to hear, honey, because you're going to be wrestling for the title at King's Championship 18 against Hakeem the Tiger Chara. You talking about the, the tiger as in I bring a whole real tiger to the stage who does most of the dirty work for me, tiger? Yeah, that's the one. Okay. Um, yep, he's got the tiger. Look, I don't mind paying the stage. This is what we do. Also, I didn't, Mama didn't raise a coward. I can't be the champion if I don't fight the tiger, so I gotta take out the tiger. It's that simple. I'm here to be the best, damn it. And it doesn't take long for Minnie Ripper to find you. Congratulate you on the uh, big match. Yeah. But then he says, hey, I got an idea. Do you mind if I run something past you? Not at all. You know, ever since that buried treasure match, something has really been bothering me. You know how I said that they make a lot of money on us? And we're the ones putting our bodies on the line to make that money? And what do you get out of it? A pair of shoes and 20 gold? 17! Honestly, unless they paid you three on the side. No. Do you want some size six women's shoes? No, man, I got like size 12 and a half feet. Yeah, you got normal people feet. I hear that a lot. Yeah, well, let me cut to the chase. Let's take our share. Here's my, my problem is, and don't get me wrong, Ripper, I do think we should be paid for our services a, a fair amount. But steal from the biggest company in the world? Where are we supposed to go after that? They're stealing from us, man. They are stealing from us. You're right. You're, yeah, yeah. I, I, I should be more about the proletariat. You're right. I don't know why I'm trying to make complicated situations easier. Here's where I come from. I have lived since I was seven years old. It's all been about becoming the greatest wrestler on earth. That's what I'm here for. That's what I came to do. That's why I moved across to the West Coast and went to Buncos. That's why I moved back. Every move I've made for over a decade has been towards this one goal. This is gonna sound stupid. The money's not the main motivator here. I wanna be the greatest. Minnie Ripper listens to what you said and he says, look, I get it. You don't want the money as badly as you wanna be the champ, the best in the world. I get it. But look, they have been making a fortune on us and it's time we get ours, okay? I don't need you to do any of the dirty work. I'll take care of that. But if you could create a distraction, that would help a lot. I will cause a distraction. I can guarantee that. Let's do it. So it's settled. You and Minnie Ripper are going to do a heist. Well, kind of. I mean, Minnie Ripper's going to do the heist. <laughs> and you're just going to do the distraction part during King's Championship 18, in which you are going to wrestle for the title against Hakeem the Tiger Chara, the champion. He is not happy about this, by the way. He makes it very well known as you guys get a little feud going in the months leading up to the King's Championship. He calls you out one night, your ringside, and he says, I do not want to wrestle against this one because he is a chomp. He is a new guy. I don't like him at all. He got beat so bad by Lardo Mondo. I know Mondo put hands and feet all over me. I know people's and party machine hurt me and your boy, but this is my real shot. I'm not just here to dig treasure and get paid in shoes. I'm taking down the tiger. He's he's washed up, he's long in the tooth, pun intended, old man. It doesn't matter how you get to the party, it just matters what happens once you're there. That's, that's why I'd sell it. Now, long before the day of your biggest match, you wrote to your parents and you told them that you were gonna be wrestling at King's Championship 18 for the title. 
They have become very big wrestling fans because of the stories you've shared in your letters to them, but they've never seen you in action. And on the day of the big match, your parents arrive early and you get to spend some time with them. You haven't seen them in like eight years. It's nice. But as afternoon rolls around, you gotta head to the arena. The undercard begins, and from the locker room, you can just feel how electric it is. Everybody is putting on a great show. The crowd is cheering and booing and doing all the stuff the wrestling crowds are supposed to do on a good night. You peer out, and you even see your parents on their feet cheering at the end of a really great match. So you're up after another match. You don't have long before you're going to be out there wrestling. And Minnie Ripper comes into the locker room. He's just wearing his regular clothes because he wasn't wrestling on this card. He walks up to you and he says, are we good for tonight? Are you good for tonight? I'm going to go out there and put on the greatest damn show they've ever seen. They won't have any choice but to be distracted. Look, man, after the match, you got to meet me down at the docks, like right after the match. I'm not sticking around for very long. This is going to be really big, and they're going to be looking for who did this. And they will kill us both if they figure it out. Down at the docks, after the show. Go out on top and get out of town. And with that, Minnie Ripper leaves the locker room. You've got about 20 minutes, so you start doing some stretching. You want to make sure your body's limber. You slap yourself across the chest, across the face, to get your skin warmed up for the beating it's about to receive. And then you head down to those curtains, where you're going to stand behind the curtains, and you're going to wait for them to introduce your name, because you are the challenger. You are going to be introduced first. This is the King's Championship 18 main event. Introducing the challenger. Healing from parts unknown. Weighing 250 pounds, Ice Cold, the Slab Monsoon! Ice Cold, baby! The crowd goes nuts. It's deafening in there. You strut about, soaking it in. And then you hear a tiger growl. And now, your champion, Hakeem the Tiger! You thought it was loud before. These folks go crazy for him. He's got his tiger, Queenie, at the end of a chain, and he's strutting down to the ring like a king, wearing that big golden jewel-encrusted belt that you covet so much. Kids are wearing like little Queenie masks, and people are holding up signs, and he comes down and he puts Queenie's chain around a stake that's uh, set up near the ring there, and he locks it on there with a padlock. He comes into the ring and the announcer sets it all up and you guys kick off an amazing match. You get the drop on him first. What do you hit him with? If this is anything goes, this is my final match. I'm gonna hit him with an ice cold elbow straight to the noggin. Roll it. Big bam! I rolled a 19. He is a tough dude, but that one sneaks in there. Nine points of bludgeoning damage as you cut him on the forehead with a sharp elbow shot. Mm. He turns around and he is going to throw a big roundhouse. He rolls a four. I duck under it. I'm going to pick him up and jam him right on top of his head. Do it. 13. 13. You wrap your arms around his waist. You go to lift him. He, like, puts his leg in between your legs. Oh, no. Old classic trick to keep you from lifting him up. You try to lift him again. <gasps> he puts his leg in between your legs. And then he tries to hit you with, like, an elbow shot to the head. Yeah. And uh, he doesn't hit you. He doesn't make contact. But you got to sell it, right? I let go of his leg and like drop down to my knees like and try to like roll out the way to get some distance just to sell it like oh oh i'm discombobulated roll a perception check i'm perceiving 
eight. An eight. Well, the one thing you do perceive is his hands wrapping around your throat <laughs> as he's uh, choking you. This is a classic move for the for the tiger is to choke you while you're down on your knees. So you, he gets a 16, so he really oh, no. roots his hands down in there, and he makes a really big show of it. Yeah. Uh, doesn't do any damage to you, but he's putting on a show, right? You're on your knees right now, and he's choking you. Could I try to do a throat punch? You could try to, like, grab his legs and push him forward and put him on his back. Hey, you could reach up and clap his ears. Oh, yeah, let's reach up and clap his ears. All right, give me a slap. That's going to be a slap. Big slap. 16. 16 hits, and he really sells this. That's the one thing you notice about uh, about the tiger. He really sells stuff that you're throwing at him, and it doesn't really hurt him all that much. Okay. He reels back holding his head. Give me another perception check. 19. That's when you notice that somebody has unlocked the padlock around Queenie's chain, and she is now on the loose. Oh, snap. Roaming the front row of the Coliseum as you hear some people screaming as they're realizing, holy shit, there's a tiger on the loose around here. I freak out because if my parents came, I got them front row tickets to see me in this match, so Queenie's, I'm assuming, is headed towards their area, which puts me in a panic way this, this is the kind of opportunity in a match that I've been dying for. My parents are my parents. Um, I would say at first I'd be like, hey, uh, to Tiger, be like, you, Quinny's out, Quinny's out, what the hell do we do? Because he's a veteran, right? He ties up with you and says into your ear, finish the match, you jabroni. Queenie is for attempts. <sighs> but she's going towards my parents, man. Like, she, that's, a, that's a tiger, man. <sighs> my tiger is my business. You finish the match. All right, all right. I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna believe him for like one more attack because he's a. <sighs> um, I bring down a chop on his neck. Throw it. Fifteen. Oh man, he blocks it. You look over and you see that she is drooling and she is approaching your parents who are kind of cornered against a railing. Oh. The tiger lunges forward and swipes a claw at your dad, and it hits him. And all you see is that your dad is now bleeding badly from his chest. He's protecting your mother. That's it. I break off the match. I'm like, F this! Those are my parents, man. And so I started running towards Queenie, and I grabbed my little, um, like, stool present that I got from Bonko. And I bring it down on top of Queenie's head. All right, roll it. 15. Tiger's armor class is 12. Oh. And you do five bludgeoning damage to it. It uh, got its attention, and now it has turned its attention onto you. Awesome. And it tries to claw you. What's your armor class? 15. 15. Okay, it does swipe you with its claws. It does four slashing damage. Now what do you do? Now what do I do? I'm going to try to choke this tiger out. It's the best idea I got. 14. It got a 20. Jesus. The tiger does not allow you to choke it at, at all. It claws at you again. It gets a 19 on the attack for eight slashing. Oh, that's, I'm done. <laughs> Tigers, what's the tiger? Uh, that puts me under on hit points. Jesus. So you fall unconscious yeah. from the massive blood loss that you've suffered, protecting your parents from this tiger. And when you wake up, you are in the dressing room, the locker room, being bandaged up by one of the medics that they have on staff. 
and there are some sour-looking faces around you. One of those sour faces belongs to Hakim the Tiger Chara, whose pet tigress, Queenie, you hit in the head with your chair and tried to choke and weren't successful. And he says to you, Nice job, you scat for brain, you broke kayfabe. Your tiger almost killed my parents, man. You're nuts. Oh, you don't break kayfabe. It's like the one rule. You don't let a tiger loose in a live audience. What kind of, what part of the, the, the art is that, man? It is a part of the art that you are supposed to respect. And your father probably provoked Queenie. Ooh, ooh. If I wasn't, ooh, if I wasn't getting banished up right now, sir, how dare you? It's not my fault you're too old and washed up to be able to take care of your own pet. Well, you mark my words, you are done working in the wrestling never again. You are a punk kid who broke a fab at the first sign of trouble. That's why they call you Tiger, because you're a huge pussy. Get out! He's really restraining himself. He wants to hit you, but yeah, you're being bandaged up by a medic. And just then, five guards burst yeah. in yeah. to this uh, small dressing room. And one of them shouts, we've been robbed. We've been robbed. First we let out live tigers and now you can't even guard your own gold. What the heck's going on in this establishment? I say, as I try to make it look like I didn't know this was happening. <laughs> give, me a, <laughs> give me a deception check. I want to see how you do on that. <laughs> yeah, wow, I can't believe this. 20 natural 20, that's good. Maybe it's just the shock of everything that's happened, but they completely believe that you know nothing about any of this. <laughs> and uh, over the course of the next hour or so, as you're getting bandaged up, the word gets out. In the middle of your match, somebody got into the uh, box office and they stole at least uh, uh, some of the gold from the, from the gate. They have no idea who it was. But suspicion quickly turns to the two guys who were in the ring at the time that Queenie escaped. One of you probably had something to do with this. When Queenie escaped, that's when all the guards had to come running into the arena, and that was when somebody stole all this gold. They look at Hakim, the Tiger Chara, and he says, I had nothing to do with this. I always make sure that Queenie is securely chained up. And if somebody were to have picked the lock, well then that is how Queenie would have escaped. They start going through your stuff and they find your lock picks. Oh boy. What are these? What are these? They were a gift from a mentor over at Bunko's Extreme Fighting Academy, sir. Am I not allowed to have gifts from mentors? Well, these are thieves' tools. Thieves' tools! You must be a thief. And, and, and a knife is a murderer's tool in the wrong hands. It depends on the hands, sir. You make a very valid point. But nonetheless, you'll never work as a professional wrestler on this continent again. And they kick you out. And as they escort you out of the venue, you do encounter your mom and dad. And your mom and dad give you a great big hug. They're very relieved to see that you're alive and okay-ish. And your dad says, hey, we fought a tiger together. How cool is that? That, that, was, that was awesome. I'm, I'm glad you're okay. They fired me. I, I, I can't be a wrestler anymore. Well, you're still young, uh, you know. Your mother and I, we're... We're retiring next year. You can come home and maybe we can get a little ranch and grow some food and have some livestock. I'm not a rancher. I'm a wrestler. That's why you guys sent me away. This can't be it. We're, we're both very proud of you. We, we know that you risked everything to save our lives and the lives of all the people here that that tiger could have hurt. And it sure 
sure is awful that they don't see that. Thanks. Um, there's nothing left for me here. I'll meet up with you guys later. I have to go down to the docks um, for something. But I will catch up with you guys. Thank you for coming to this match. Yeah. It should have went better. Well, well, we'll see you later, son. Thank you, Dad. Love, love you guys, Mom. I, uh... Yeah, I'm just gonna go clear my head down by the docks. You go down to the docks, it's about midnight now, and there are a lot of people working at the docks. More ships than you would have expected at this hour, and there are some magical orbs that are floating up in the sky, creating a great deal of light so that the people can work the docks in the dark without, you know, stumbling and bumbling, hurting themselves. And you see that there are about a half a dozen ships lined up there, and they're all being unloaded, and then there's a couple of smaller ones that are being loaded. There have probably been other ships that have just launched here recently. Uh, you can see that uh, there are a few, like, lantern lights kind of out in the distance away. You walk down to the Harbor Master's shack, which is where, you know, if you wanted to buy a ticket or ask a question, and uh, you walk up, and there's a, there's a small human man there. Just, oh, can I help you? Hi, have you, have you seen like a um, tall, like, kind of white guy with like dark hair around here in the last hour or so? Uh, it, it's a pal of mine who said to meet him down here. I'm just wondering if you've seen him. Well, a few dozen of them down there helping, working on the ships and unloading. I, in fact, am a kind of a palish white guy with brown hair myself, so that's uh, not helpful, but... No, no, that, that's not helpful. Um... I try to describe, um, have you, are you, are you a fan of wrestling, sir? Oh, no, I, I don't prefer, I prefer reading novels. Uh, oh, I hate you. That's a horrible thing to say to a stranger. <laughs> I was, I'm kidding. It's been a stressful day. A tiger almost murdered me, so, sorry, I'm a little woozy from the blood loss. Oh. You ever, you ever had a tiger fight? Anyways, it doesn't matter. I'm looking for my friend, and then I try to describe him as best I can, but, okay, well. um, yeah. No, unfortunately, I haven't, haven't uh, seen anyone. I mean, I've seen people that fit that description, but I, I, I haven't seen that one. Uh, th that, that is, that's okay. Um, is it cool if I just like try to look around and see if maybe he's down there? Uh, sure. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, if you, if you're looking to book passage to Crow Island, I can help you with that. A few people are looking to do that tonight. Had a, some unusual requests earlier. Oh, and then that. And then the light bulb comes on, and through the blood loss, I remember Crow Island was a place he wanted to go, if I remember correctly. And I say, um, how much well, to Crow Island? Well, it'll cost you 50 gold uh, if you're going to work the ship in passage. I mean, you can pay more and not have to lift a finger, or you can pay 50 gold and actually work on the ship. Um, takes about takes about three weeks. Working on the ship? I don't mind hard work. I learned from a great teacher once. You dedicate yourself to the craft. Hard work doesn't scare me. I, I part with 50 gold to get to Crow Island. All right. Well, uh, that ship over there, way on the end, that little tiny one, that's the one you're going to be taking. And uh, uh, you can go on down there. He writes a little writ of passage for you. Uh, it leaves in about 30 minutes. Ooh. Is there like a, a, a courier or kind of person? Like, if I wanted to send a letter to my parents... Letting them know I'm going to Crow Island. I can take a letter, and if you tell me where to send it, I can arrange that. Uh, I basically say, duh, 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 slab out, going to Crow Island to find my friend. Uh, just going to clear my head. I, I'm not giving up on my dream. I just can't follow my dream here. I love you. Keep it real. Tell my brother, slap, slap, slap. 
wing ding. He'll know what that means. It's an inside joke. Then I hand him the letter, and then I head towards the uh, boat to Crow Island. You, and you tell him where to find your parents or the address or whatever. Yeah. All right. So you head down to the docks, and as you approach the ship, you see a rather beautiful young woman. She's sort of standing, waiting near the, the gangplank, I think it's called, to go up onto the ship. Okay. And she's standing there. She's kind of looking around like she's waiting for someone to come and, like, take her letter of entry. Her skin is rather dark. But then as you get closer, it kind of has, like you can see it on her, especially on her face and hands, kind of shimmers a little bit. As I'm approaching, I say, uh, hey, you, you look almost as lost as I do. How's it going? And that is the end of episode four of The Valley of Green Gold. The Rated RPG Podcast comes out with a new episode every Monday, but if you want to watch us play, you can check out our brand new live stream only adventure, Cult Busters. We stream it on the last Tuesday evening of every month, and the archived live streams are available through our website, ratedrpgpodcast.com. We have won our very first session in uh, Cult Busters, in which you, in the live stream chat, helped us create our characters with your suggestions. Heck, you even helped create the concept of Cult Busters with suggestions and voting in the polls that we did during a live stream. You can see it all at ratedrpgpodcast.com. Neither the Rated RPG live stream nor the podcast would be possible without our amazing Patreon supporters and friends like Addicts Am, Freckled One, and PJ Sherman. We raise a glass and toast the health of the gorgeous Phoenix Brigade. Members in good standing include Shane Loves Games and Holly Summers. And we welcome Duke Jason of the Grand Duchy of Smirt. Thanks to Jason, Brad's character will receive some roles on the table of potentially decent random stuff. In episode 5, we'll reveal the major Merchant Harbor policy decision made by Lord Deputy Chris Fail, a decision which will have an impact in-game. And thank you to our Merchant Harbor Gazette tier supporters, GBS Trek, Spidey Mouse, Weary Traveler, and Super Justin 64. The Merchant Harbor Gazette has gone to print, and in upcoming episodes, the characters will be reading the headlines and all of that breaking news. You know, I always hate to bring the mood down, but I just found out that our friend Will Parker was smashed by a Yeti. He was, you know, messing around. He's throwing sticks into a cave. Should have known better. But hey, we stuck a few chunks of Will into our bucket of friends, and we'll carry you around till we can make you all better. If you support Rated RPG through Patreon, not only will you get our enduring gratitude, but you might get some cool rewards too, and have a place in the lore of the Valley of Green Gold. Go to RatedRPGPodcast.com and take a look. On behalf of everyone around Ye Old Gaming Table, thank you for enjoying the Rated RPG Podcast.